0: Unscripted is supported by Fordham University's Master of Science in Humanitarian Studies, an innovative program dedicated exclusively to the theory and practice of international humanitarian response. Built on social justice values and humanitarian principles, this 30-credit graduate program will prepare you with the skills you need to launch or advance your career in humanitarian action. Evening and online classes are offered at Fordham's Rose Hill Campus in the Bronx, New York, as well as at the Lincoln Center Campus, located in Midtown Manhattan. Applications for fall 2020 are being accepted on a rolling basis. For more information, visit Fordham.edu mshs. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillon. And welcome to Unscripted. With hundreds of applications pouring in for each job, today we look at the challenges as well as the best strategies to get a job in the UN system with helpful insights from former UN officials and experts. This is Unscripted, a podcast
1: taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them.
2: Congratulations to the Columbia University SEPA class of 2020. I'm so honored to be here with you at this virtual ceremony.
0: This past spring, millions of students graduated virtually from universities and colleges globally. Located a 30-minute subway ride away from the United Nations headquarters, Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs, or SIPA, is known for feeding graduates into jobs at the UN. In at least one way, students of the graduating class of 2020 are no different from previous graduates. Many hope to secure competitive entry-level jobs or internships at the UN. That's the case for Nagina Kaitova, who's an international student from Uzbekistan.
3: My childhood dream was to become the UN Secretary General. And it did seem a little bit naive to me, <laughs> now reflecting why was it that way. But I realized that, you know, it might become a career aspiration. And so for me, it's a UN or, or no other job, <laughs> basically, in the long term. I am so passionate about the UN to the extent that I collect all the different UN
1: accessories and flags and UN classes that I have had before. But like many other sectors, the pandemic has complicated the hiring process at the UN, as it was already difficult to get noticed by the organization. Now, the situation is nearly impossible. Consultant contracts are not getting renewed and the full time positions are scarce. I think it is much harder. Because the UN has been on a freeze for a long, long time,
3: especially when it was the good time for having your interviews and all of that. The UN was like, Oh, never mind, we're actually on a freeze right now. So there was disadvantages. Also the UN is in and of itself a bureaucracy, especially when it comes to the HR, that it takes a long, long time to process someone's documents after rounds of interviews and you know, all the document submission and everything else, which I understand it takes a long time. There are lots of people willing to work for the U.N., but still, like, during the COVID, it's just been significantly slower from
4: what I'm aware of.
0: And that's something Daniel Nowjaks is keenly aware of. He's the interim director of the International Organization and U.N. Studies Specialization in SIPA at Columbia University. Part of his role is to prepare his students for the job search.
5: The truth is that between graduating and getting this dream job at the UN lies a period of sustained uncertainty, precarious work, and often struggle, starting with another internship, starting with short-term consultancy, contract that can last from a month to two, three months, and to longer-term consultancy projects. So the path towards the end goal of a full Um, Employment at the UN is often a stony one and not linear and not easy. Students have to know that and they have to be prepared for work experiences where they may not get the exact salary they were hoping for, where their health insurance is not covered and some other struggles they have to be prepared for.
1: The pandemic's effect on the UN also mean that it'll eventually need more staff to help in the recovery phase, especially in countries with weak healthcare systems. So we wanted to answer the question that's on many people's mind how to crack the door open into prestigious UN positions. So we talked to Stephanie Playford, who founded United Career Coalition, a new organization that helps students, young and experienced professionals to get their resume, cover letter and themselves ready to get noticed by the infamous bureaucracy of the UN Staffing Office. Playford has worked for Dr. Mohamed el formerly the head of the UN's International Atomic Energy Agency, where she made her way up to a manager position before leaving in 2018. Dr. El-Bardai and the IAEA were jointly awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2005.
2: My beginning of the career with the UN was actually while I was studying. I used to work for the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, As a conference clerk, it's basically short-term assignments, a couple of days, from three days to five days assignments, where you do quite, I would say, boring clerical admin work. But it's a great opportunity um, to meet people from all over the world. And more importantly, it's a great opportunity to not only get to know different personalities, but also to get a glimpse of what ambassadors are doing, representatives to the UN, and how the UN actually works and functions. So I had the opportunity while I was studying to understand the UN system a bit better and also to connect and to network within the UN. And for me, I never saw this conference clerk job as as a job. It was so much fun. I I met great people, I made great connections. I'm still in contact with um, some people as a consequence of having worked there. A lot of section heads and managers started to specifically asking for me to join their meetings and requested for me to be assigned to their meetings because they saw that I enjoy work and I do a good job. And that was then when um, the Director General's office approached um, UN staff internally to suggest a possible candidate for the personal assistant role for the Director General. And my name luckily landed on the list of potential candidates. And the rest is history. And then I started my career and worked for Dr. Abadai. And the message I want to bring across, which is also probably my first advice, is to really do something you believe that's important and you are passionate about and you enjoy.
0: And like many other UN staff members, Playford heard the same question over and over again. How can I get a job there? And she felt that so many people asked that she wanted to do something about it. So she launched the United Career Coalition.
2: I think there is absolutely no golden rule or guarantee that if you study a certain degree or if you apply for a field mission, that you actually get a job at the UN. So my advice is really to find something you enjoy. I always struggle with my advice. If students, for example, approach me and ask me, what should they study in order to get a job at the UN? I always ask them the same questions. is, is why do you want to work for the UN? I very much think you should not start a field of study just because you want to end up at a well-paid job at the UN. Life is way too short, in my opinion. And I wouldn't advise anyone to Possibly waste four years if they're not passionate about the same. For example, and I think even more important goes with field missions. It's something you really want to do, and you should properly prepare for it. Otherwise, I would advise anyone not to do it. I think a field mission can come with risks. It can possibly affect your whole perspective on life, your mental health, your relationships. So, I would advise you know to really only do it if that's something you want and you're passionate about the UN and you understand the UN system, the mission, and what it is to work for the UN.
1: So let's get one thing straight. Having this great paper, a diploma from a fancy university, for sure helps. But basic skills are what's going to matter the most at the beginning of your job search and career, says Daniel Nergok of SIPA.
5: There are a few things that people need to get hired at the UN. The first is they need skills and knowledge, right? I mean, that's like the obvious. And often people and and students focus on what they need to know. In this regard, I think it's important to understand that there is substantive knowledge, functional knowledge, and some basic knowledge and basic skills that we can differentiate. Substance, we, we often think about human rights, about climate change, about migration and displacement, about energy and water and sustainability and all the other things that graduate students with an eye on UN employment think about. And these are key. This is what students learn in their coursework, in their internships, in their independent study, etc. But sometimes students and graduates often overestimate the way they would be engaging in redesigning development the world over in entry-level positions or in these positions that we get as part-time consultants. So there are a lot of tasks that students in entry-level positions are often more engaged in, which is writing a newsletter, tweeting and communication, organizing events. I can't stress how much event management is a key for succeeding in entry-level positions. Because what the UN is doing often is organizing brown bag lunches, retreats, talks, side events at the UN. And this is a task that often is done by entry-level or junior staff. So it's great that somebody has a great mind about about development SDGs, but if you can't organize an event, you will not get the task to rewrite this great conceptual paper about uh, the future of development cooperation.
0: But the most important thing is to get noticed. So we asked Playford, what's the best way to stand out among hundreds of applicants?
2: I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of that the cover letter is part of the personal history form you can basically put a lot of UN relevant language and relevant words related to the job post in that cover letter which is extremely important and it's also the first part of the personal history form so therefore it's the part which is most likely to be read there are up to 800 applications per post so You want to ideally have a cover letter to showcase all your skills, all your knowledge and all your experiences, but specifically tailored to the job you apply for.
1: Of course, relationships are also important. But that doesn't mean that you have to come from a powerful or influential family or have connections, but simply that you know people inside the system. And even if you don't live near a UN office, there are things you can do. If you live in a country where there's a UN mission, volunteering is one idea. If you're in school, look for UN associations there. That's what Monica Alvera did and she ended up landing a fellowship and then a job at UNICEF USA.
4: I became involved with UNICEF my sophomore year at Fordham University. So I started a UNICEF club and a couple of years later, I you know, was about to graduate and I had so enjoyed my time with the UNICEF club that it just made so much sense for me to want to wanna try to pursue an opportunity with UNICEF because I knew the organization, I'd worked with staff, I'd interned there, I had experience on the National Council, which is kind of like a youth leadership board that UNICEF USA has. Mm-hmm. So it was the natural next step for me. And they had a a fellowship program, and it's changed a little bit since I was a part of it. It's called the Global Citizenship Fellowship Program. So it was the same application process as everybody else. I think that, of course, the benefit was that people were interviewing me who I knew and who I had worked with for several years. So, of course, that certainly helped because they knew the quality of my work and and that I was excited to be part of the team. But it was still the same interview process, to give you some perspective. It was a four-stage kind of interview process where, you know, get to submit some materials and some written work and then a couple of interviews with different levels of staff. And then ultimately it culminated with a presentation that we had to go into the office and give regarding how we would propose an initiative if we were selected.
0: And even when you have connections, education and experience, it's not a guarantee. Nagina Kaitova has worked her whole life with the only goal of getting a job at the U.N., and she's still not exactly there yet. But she's not giving up.
3: I am not yet sure if this is the COVID-related kind of outcome or there needs to be more done from my side to be considered. Unfortunately, I realize that networks network sometimes may not be enough. And also, you have to excel in your cover letter in a way that the language is similar to the job description sometimes, but not too similar. And there are so many different pitfalls and you have to make them all perfect. But I also realized that lots of people I talked to who landed at the UN tell me that, you know, it's just being at the right time at the right place.
0: This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor and Alison Lecce is our intern. AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear.
1: A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And PassBlue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump defect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter,
0: go to PassBlue.com. PassBlue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, The New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit PassBlue's website and click donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you
1: like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.